everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk. All right. Well, hello. I am Ed Murray. Uh, I've been a member here at the Vineyard since 2007. And I really think that my family and I moved uh, to Chester Springs to join this church and to be with you guys. So it's a pleasure to speak today. You know, do you know the tale of James Jones? No. Well, Jimmy was a great golfer. And Jimmy, uh, in fact, in the 30 years that Jimmy belonged to his golf club, on hole number five, he hit a hole-in-one 15 times. Amazing. Almost one every other year. And this was something that became to define old Jimmy. He would sit in the clubhouse and he would regale the members of the stories of him hitting that, that, that eight iron just enough to, to drop into the hole. And, you know, Jimmy worshipped that hole, right? When he was at other clubs, he told people about hole number five. And, you know, as the club folks moved the, you know, they moved the pin around the green, he would study it. And he would study the, uh, the, the, the undulations of the green to make sure he could do it. The tee box, one time they dropped the tee box about six uh, inches, and he realized it, and he, 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 he had to go up a club to make sure that he was still doing what he should be doing on this hole. And, you know, uh, hole number five was his identity. It's what gave him fame. It's what gave him a sense of being. And at some point, like all of us, Jimmy passed away. And his widow thought, you know, he's never at church on Sunday. I need to lay Jimmy out on hole number five. So he went to, uh, she went to the club management, and they agreed. They said, you know, we can't really put the casket on the green, but we certainly can put it uh, at the tee box. And she agreed. That's where he spent most of his time anyway. That's where he made his bones. That's where he had his fame. That's what he worshipped. And so his friends came out that day, and they, you know, they all stood around, and they told stories about Jimmy. And then they all got their eight iron, and they hit it onto the uh, green. And then they retired to the 19th hole to get a beverage. And they promised each other that Every year, they would come back out on the date of Jimmy's death and do the same thing, to honor him. Well, one year passed, and they came out, and they did it, and, you know, they, you know golf is a sporting kind of thing, so they actually played a closest-to-the-hole tournament, $100 uh, for the closest-to-the-hole on his birthday, on his on the date of his, his death, and they retired to the 18th, uh, 19th hole, and they got a cocktail. That next year, the PGA tapped the golf club. The Pro Golfers Association tapped that golf club to have a major championship, okay? 
And, you know, one of the things that the, the Pro Golfers Association does when they go to a golf course is they look at it. And they have to lengthen it because pros are really good. You know, they hit the ball a long way. And they determined that Jimmy's par three, hole number five, was too short. And the club said, that's no problem. We really want to have a major championship here. So we're going to lengthen it. And we'll make it a par four, a dogleg par four. And if what a dogleg is, think about a dogleg where Jimmy could see the hole. On a dogleg, the hole goes this way. So you tee off into the abyss, and then hopefully you turn the corner and you see the pin. And they did that, and it was successful. The next years, Jimmy's friends came out, and they were about to honor him. And they realized, you know, that hole that defined him was gone. Perplexed, they went back into the clubhouse and had some beverage alcohol. You know, they looked at all of the plaques on the wall because when you're at a club and you belong to a club and you get a hole in one, you get a plaque on the wall. You know, they celebrate you. My father-in-law's got two of them in his golf course uh, in Florida. And, you know, the club manager looked at that plaque, and the plaque was kind of a pain now to the club manager because new people would say, how did this guy get, you know, 15 hole-in-ones on a par four? And he would have to explain to them, well, it wasn't a par four, it was really a par three. But, you know, the PGA came, they ch we changed the hole. And so he took the plaque down, and he took it over to, his, uh, to Jimmy's widow and said, you know, hey, you know, we, we, we've changed the hole, but we thought you would want this in honor of Jimmy. And, you know, the widow looked at the plaque, and she shook her head and bowed it. And, you know, the club manager said, yeah, ma'am, I know. We, we all miss Jimmy. And she said, no, no, no. You see, that hole was an idol. And this, is, this plaque is the last vestige of it. Take this thing and throw it out. What are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? So we're on the third message of a series focusing on vineyard distinctives today. We're going to discuss experiential worship. Experiential worship is the reality of being in the presence of the living God during collective, during corporate worship. You see, this is the way it was supposed to be. If you look at Genesis 3.8, it tells us that in the cool of the day, God would walk with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Why don't we pray? Holy Spirit, come. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that we can gather together in spirit and in truth, and worship you, Father. And I thank you that you have made us people to worship, and you have revealed yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ. And today, Father, we ask that heaven and earth meet as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the, these distinctives that we've been discussing, especially experiential uh, worship, are what my family finds so attractive about our expression of following Jesus. Now, a few words about these distinctives. You know, they don't, uh, you know, our distinctives, our vineyard distinctives don't make us better 
than other expressions of following Jesus. They're just how we do it. Okay, they are rooted in biblical truths and historic orthodox Christian beliefs. And they help an imperfect human being like me stay focused on God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit as we seek the kingdom. Paraphrasing uh, Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline. I brought this book up here because I, I really recommend you check it out. Uh, the form of worship is important because we need a theology for worship because that's how human beings are. However, the goal of worship is not the form. It's to sit in the presence of the one who made us. Specifically from the Vineyard USA core beliefs, on the website, you can find this, experience and worship God. That's one of the core, our core beliefs. The kingdom of God is not a geopolitical territory, nor is it the people of God. Rather, the kingdom of God is a dynamic realm, one that enters the kingdom. She, he experiences the dynamic reality which exists within the triune God, the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This means that the experience of the kingdom of God and thus the experience of God's presence is central to our faith and to our Christian life. When we worship God, we desire to enter into the Lord's presence. We desire to have an Isaiah 6 encounter with the living God. Listen to how Isaiah describes his encounter, and it's recorded in Isaiah 6, 1 through 4. I think it's going to be up on the screen behind me. Isaiah writes, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with the other two, they flew, and they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that happened in our worship today? You know, as we move through this series, perhaps the question you have, are these distinctives relevant today? I mean, after all, they were laid down 50 years ago, okay? I was eight years old. Some of you weren't born, okay? To that question, I offer two responses. The first one is last week, Bob discussed the distinctive of everyone gets to play. And there was this outpouring of response to pray for each other. And as we ministered to each other, healing words of knowledge comforted people's spirits. It was a wonderful time of prayer and seeking the Lord's guidance for people. Secondly, regarding worship specifically, like old Jimmy, you and I are built for worship. If we're not worshiping the living God, 
we will worship something. You remember Jimmy the golfer, right? What are you worshiping? What do you adore? You know, not all worship, not all things we worship are bad, right? I mean, we think, you know, sex, gambling, you know, these things, right? But I can worship my family. In fact, yesterday was, or the second, don't let me get it right, she's watching. The second was our 22nd anniversary, and we met uh, in D.C., our daughter is going to George Washington University, and we, we're out on the wharf having some fun, taking some selfies, taking some pictures. But you know what? If I begin to worship my family, and let me tell you, I got a Proverbs 31 woman, all right? This woman does well by me. She causes me no shame, all right? <laughs> but if I begin to worship her instead of worshiping God who blessed me with her, I'm going to have a problem. Okay? If I've got a great job that provides for my family and allows me to do things, but I don't realize that job came from God, then I'm going to have a problem. You know, uh, some of you have seen it. Maria has. Not only is she a Proverb 31 woman, she's a doctor, so she likes to have a nice car. So she's got an orange Tesla. It's out there in the driveway. You'll see it out in the park. And we were in Pottstown the other day. And uh, we pulled up to a stoplight, and a family in an SUV pulled up next to us. They rolled down their windows. They're smiling, you know, because the Tesla was looking good, and it's got that wrap, and it's orange. And they said to Maria, you're living your best life. <laughs> I was like, wow, all it took was an orange Tesla? <laughs> Man, I should have known this years ago, right? No. We're living our best life because we are attempting to follow Jesus into his kingdom mission for our lives. That is the only way we can lead our best life. So what does experiential worship look like? Uh, I asked Camille, could I tell this story? You know, we were at a regional conference. It was uh, over the summer. We, a number of you came. It was a wonderful time. And the worship was especially powerful. And the last night, because this was Camille's last conference where she would hang out with the teens, and the last night she came into the big worship, and uh, I'm worshiping, and my wife nudges me, and I look over, and, and Camille's weeping. She's weeping during worship, and, you know, there's some really faithful women who gathered around her and started to pray because they realized the Spirit was doing something, okay? And so, I'm really happy. <laughs> I'm really happy that the Lord is doing something with Camille, and so we get in the car, we drive back to the hotel, and, you know, you know if you're a dad, you know you don't want to hit those things too hard with a teenager, right? You want to lay back a little bit. You got to give it some space, and so I, I said, you know, hey, you know, we got back to Airbnb. I said, hey, I, did I see you kind of like, like a little emotional there? I, I saw some people come up and pray for you, and she said, yeah. I said, so what, what, what happened? And she said, God told me to not just go to Sunday service when I go to GW, but to also join the Christian uh, group that meets during the week. 
And I said to her, but yeah, we talked about that. You said it was going, you were going to. And she was like, yeah, I said that. <laughs> but you know what? God told her. And fortunately enough for her, she was obedient, and this Wednesday she went, and I asked her how it was, and she was like, oh, it was great, pizza, you know, it's, it, I, I won't get into the whole thing, but it, it's a really cool group. We went to their service uh, the past Sunday we were there, and I was like, wow, isn't that wonderful? That's what it can look like, uh, but what else are some of the things that experiential worship looks like? Well... And I, I, where'd I go? Collective experiential worship gathers people in unity. It transcends our human individualism. It nourishes our soul. It has one leader, Jesus Christ. And there is a freedom to be who you authentically are with the one who created you. You can bring all of your insecurities, all of your fears into worship because God created you. He knows you. Sometimes there's weeping, there's shaking, and other times Jesus gives us words of knowledge or speaks to us directly. In fact, the more one worships, the better one becomes at hearing God's voice. But worshiping is better than talking about worship, and we're going to have a chance at the end to really do this. So let's look at three stories about worship. And uh, the first one, uh, you know, we find in Exodus. And seven times Moses, at God's direction, asked Pharaoh to let the Jewish nation go into the wilderness so they can worship him. Well, let's think about this for a second, because has anyone been in, in, in the wilderness the last couple of years? Have you? Have, you, have you? Don't leave me hanging. Come on. Have you been in the COVID wilderness the last couple of years? I have. Okay. So let's get our head around this. The, the, the Israeli nation goes into Egypt, I think it's less than 100 people. When they leave, there's tens of thousands. But they are being oppressed. Okay? And God says, I'm going to free you from your oppression so you can go out into the desert. You, you ever been out to the desert? I went out to the desert. I, I biked uh, out in the desert, out in the Las Vegas desert. Maria went out to cut up cadavers. I went out. I rented a mountain bike, and I, 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 I was out there. And, you know, it's hot out there. It's big out there. It was scary out there. I realized really quickly that I could die out there on my mountain bike. Maybe you haven't noticed, but I'm not the most felt. Okay? I took my time. I drank a lot of water. I put the bike on the car, and I went back to the hotel, okay? <laughs> All right? I wasn't pushing anything, okay, out there. So, now, we're talking, you know, there is no hotel. There is no Vegas, right? They're going to go out into the desert. God is attempting 
to te- in freeing the Jewish nation to become the people they were meant to be. God says to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. In the wilderness, God is teaching them the only thing they need is the great I am, Yahweh, the one who is faithful to the generations. If you were here for some of the TED Talks and the God stories, I heard stories of people thriving in the wilderness because they were relying on Jesus. It didn't look like thriving. It looked like a lot of pain. But they were standing up here smiling, telling their stories. Don't run away from the wilderness, my friends. God will meet you there. What did he teach you during that time? Well, Jesus gives us an example of how perfectly to weather our time in the wilderness. And it's recorded in Matthew, uh, Matthew's version of the good news, chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. You'll remember, or maybe this is the first time hearing it, and if it is, I'm so happy to say this to you. Jesus is about to begin his public ministry. He gets baptized. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit drives him out into the desert. <laughs> and for there, he has this supernatural fast. For, the Bible tells us for 40 days and 40 nights, he eats or drinks nothing. And at the end of this period, the Satan, the tempter, the liar, comes to him. And the third thing Satan says to Jesus is, Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you if you kneel down and worship me. Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In the wilderness, the devil will often offer you what is already yours in exchange for your soul. All the kingdoms of the world and all their glory always was Jesus's. It was always Jesus's. Jesus stumbles, well, maybe not stumbles, is in Samaria. And he walks to a well midday. And there's a Samaritan woman there. And there's a lot we can talk about with this story, but I really want to focus specifically on worship. And the woman is at the well midday, midday heat. She's really not supposed to be there, but she is escaping her shame. Okay? Because at midday, the other women won't be there. And at midday, the other woman wouldn't be there to talk about some of the things that she's been doing with some of the men in the town. And Jesus meets this woman there, and they begin this exchange where Jesus tells the woman exactly what she's been doing. And the woman receives this and says, you're a prophet. And 
and Jesus offers her living water. But the key to this exchange is Jesus replied in verse 21, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain, they were at a mountain, or in Jerusalem, the place where the temple was. You Samaritans, woman, well, she was a Samaritan woman, know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But a time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in this way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit of truth. When Jesus says that the time is coming, that time is now. That time was when he got up out of that tomb. Everything changed. And we are now free to worship in spirit and truth. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, speaks of our spirit, the Holy Spirit, that fills folks who follow Jesus, worshiping with God's spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, the great counselor, okay? It's how we walk through the wilderness of this world and stay on track if we learn to listen to those gentle voices. So Jesus talked about spirit, but he also talked about truth. What is truth? There's some young folks here. And at no other time in the history of this planet have there been such a time to ask that question. What is the truth? Because we're living in a time where people will tell you, I can find my truth. If I look deep into my heart, whew, you don't want to look there. I can find my truth, and I can define me. It might be old, it might be simple, but it's what has me up here today. The simple truth is there is only one God. His son is Jesus Christ. He was crucified on the cross, and then he got up out of that grave, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, mediating for us, praying for us. And those who believe in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. That is the truth. Thank you. That is the truth. Before we go to our next story, let's hear from uh, the first worship pastor of the vineyard, Carl Tuttle. Uh, 
Carl is, uh, I think Carl's, uh, Carl taped this for us. Do we, do we have him? He is, uh, he's the first worship pastor of the, of the vineyard. Uh, John Wimber, who uh, really is kind of credited with uh, being the first pastor who laid down a lot of these distinctives, okay, uh, tapped Carl when Carl was a young man. Carl has said to me, I was a street urchin. Uh, I was invited to this picnic, and everyone was hugging each other. And he's like, I didn't grow up that way. And I was drawn to it. And uh, my mother wasn't following Jesus, but she realized something was changing in me. So she bought a house near this church, <laughs> and we started going. And then as Carl humbly says, I could play four chords, so John said, you're going to be the worship pastor. But uh, do we have it? Is, it? is it? We're good? Okay, cool. Let's run it. Hi, my name's Carl Tobe, and I'm in front of Ed Bruce, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about worship. You know, when we started, we kind of stumbled upon what worship is. We actually didn't have any concept. But John had told me, you need to develop a, a theology of worship. And I'm like, what the f- is that? And so I, 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 I just, there weren't many, only two books I could find on worship at that, at that time. And then, then I just, I just went to the Bible. I found like 680 verses about worship. And so that's how I developed that worship seminar. Out of, out of scripture, in that word, uh, but then, then, then we started meeting together, and we we realized that there was a difference between singing about God and singing to God. So when we saw, we felt the Spirit come stronger when we sang to God, not about Him. Although there were great songs about it, and great songs about Christianity, that's fine, but but we found. We found a really intimate spot where, where, where we, where character we got from really Psalm 42, 1 and 2. You know, one will all meet with God. Uh, so there was kind of a, a holy desperation in the room. There was a room of, of uh, 1,500 square foot out with 1,000 people in the living room. And it was, it was amazing. But it wasn't, we didn't have all these ideas about uh, justice and, and all that stuff. It's just good, but it wasn't what we, what we got. We were gathering together because we were desperate for God, not for anything else. But So that really was the foundation of what we did. Everything we did came out of that place of desperation and real, real honor and reverence for God. Uh, I, I didn't, I've never just walked out there and led worship. I got along with God before and prayed, and then came out and led worship, and led one song after another. We didn't have many, many songs back then. There were probably 15, 20, 30 songs, maybe. Now there's 3,000, 4,000. So out of those songs, I think what, what we need to hone in on is what we sing to God, not, not about God. And that's a, there is a big difference. It doesn't mean that you have to have a hard path rule, but I think you'll notice when you sing to God uh, rather than about Him, there's a difference.
Carl's a little hard to hear, but he talked about a desperation for God. Now, these guys are living out in Anaheim Hills. <laughs> you been out there? In one hour, you can be in the hills, and the next hour, you're at the sea. You're at places like Huntington Beach. It's absolutely gorgeous. There's oranges growing. You can pick them off the tree. This is the 70s in California, and they realized that though they had all this physical beauty, though they had this incredible weather, though they could, you know, live a good life, something was missing. And so they were desperate for God. And in singing to God, the Holy Spirit started to really move among them and fill their worship and minister to them. We're going to get to do that in a few minutes. But I have one more story. And uh, we catch up in the Bible to uh, the resurrection. So uh, this is Easter. Jesus has been crucified on Good Friday. He's been put in the tomb. And because of the Jewish law, uh, the women who wanted to attend to his body, okay, the, the women who, uh, by, you know, by the law, needed to do some things to anoint his body with spices and uh, herbs and with oil, could not get there until Easter, Okay. And so they have been, you know, I can only imagine what they were thinking. Two weeks beforehand, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the grave. Earlier that week, as Jesus rode in on a donkey, people are screaming, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus says, hey, if they don't scream, the rocks are going to scream because this is a holy moment. But now, Jesus' body is in the tomb. And that's where we catch up with the story. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the man asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day? Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told apostles, the apostles, what had happened. I, I got to take a sidebar here. Why are the guys called apostles and the women aren't? Okay. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. 
so they didn't believe. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, peering in, and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. So as we enter into this time of first communion and then worship, I have a question for you. Did you come here today like the women, desperate to be with Jesus, prepared to walk right into the tomb? Because if you do, if you are, if that's your heart posture today, what happened in the tomb? The tomb became the throne room. All heaven broke out in the tomb, right? But did you come, or did you come here today like Peter? You desperately want to believe. But you know what? There are some things that you've done that you don't think the Lord can forgive. Because you'll remember, Peter denied Jesus three times on that Friday. And I want to point out to you that Peter still has a desperation to see Jesus. He is running to the tomb. But then he gets there. And he stoops in. And he looks. And because he doesn't go in, It's not explained to him like it was the women. Now, what, 50 days later, Peter starts the first church, speaks the gospel, and 3,000 people come to the Lord. Jesus is ready to forgive you. You can go boldly into the throne room because of what he has done on the cross. Does that make sense? Okay. So why don't we do this? Why don't we worship? Uh, why don't we have the worship team come up? Let me get this right. And I, I think we're going to take communion first. We're going to take communion first uh, because the Lord says, do this in remembrance of me. And then we're going to celebrate that we have a Savior who puts a piece of himself in us. So uh, did, you, did you pick up those little cups on the way in? Did you grab them? Excellent. Good. Did you have them? If you don't, there are more back here. Thank you so much, young lady, for bringing them around. Why don't you take a second and go ahead and grab them? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab one myself. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, I talked about uh, communion being a rededication. This morning I woke up and I was reading through the Bible, and I came to this, and it really struck me. And I'm like, I think I'm supposed to read this today. And uh, we're this is when Solomon, King Solomon, dedicates the temple where the Lord's holy presence is going to reside. And so when Solomon finished praying, 
fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord had filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell down on, their, on the ground and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Because of Jesus Christ, we can enter the tomb. In fact, your bodies have become the sacrifice with which Jesus embeds himself because of your belief in him. So on the night that he was betrayed, after he had dinner, he gathered uh, with his disciples and he... uh, took bread, and he broke it. So why don't we go ahead and open that? And uh, he said, uh, this is my body which has been broken for me. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat all of it. Likewise, he took the cup and he said, this is symbolic of my blood. It is the representation of the new covenant that God has with man. That now because of me, you can come boldly into the throne room and worship without shame. Take and let's drink it together. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.